glad to be together with you. If we haven't met yet, my name is Pastor Michael. My name is Michael, but people call me Pastor sometimes. Hey, good to meet you. I'm glad to be together with you this morning. We have been working through a series called Square One, and at the beginning of like the school year, it feels like we're way past the beginning of the school year now. This is six weeks into the series. Um, but looking at maybe what are some of the things that we've picked up along the way? What are some burdens? Um, what are some distractions from the, the main thing that we can kind of lay aside and look at, take a hard look at the foundation? What are the things that we're building our faith upon? And are they the right things? And so that's what we've been working on together this morning. Um, this text that we're going to look at today actually fits really nicely. So if you're like, I haven't heard any of this, like, great, that's fine. You're going to be able to follow along just fine. Um, no problems. I got you, boo. Uh, so I'm glad to be together with you. Um, there's, but at the, at the, just at the outset, um, we do have a, a problem. And the problem is this. Uh, it is that I know that I can lie to myself pretty convincingly. And I know, or I suspect, that perhaps you can too. And that if we can look each other in the eye and believe the lies that we tell one another, then we're going to be okay with that. That's our problem. As long as everybody in the room agrees that it's normal, then we don't actually have to deal with the problem, right? So, for instance, if we all decided, uh, and I think middle schoolers conspire to do this occasionally, if we all agreed together in the room that uh, deodorant is not, like, is not necessary for us to have an appropriate social gathering, then we can all walk into the room, and as long as we can look each other in the eye and keep the tears in, like we can navigate a whole room full of people that smell real, real bad, but as long as we don't say anything, the first person to say something is the person who breaks the system. And that's our problem is that we can come into a room together and we can look each other in the eye and we can pretend like everything is fine. We can pretend like everybody smells like roses. And then if somebody says, hey, I think something smells off here, they become the enemy. Have, have anybody ever experienced anything quite like that? I feel like that is, is, is something that happens culturally on a, on a big picture phrase, but it also happens like in my family, right? Like the, the person who is the problem is the person who is willing to call out the problem, right? And, and that, that is a problem, but I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that by the end of our time together this morning, we can look each other in the eye in truth, and we can walk together in love, um, empowered by the Spirit of God to live the life that Jesus has set before us. Um, so that's really the only hope that I have. Um, and that's the only confidence I have to illustrate for you just right out of the gate what our problem is in hopes that we can address it. Um, but we cannot do this alone, and so I'd invite you to pray together with me. It's our habit together at Neighborhood Church to pray together the disciples' prayer. Um, these aren't magic words. They're not going to cause stardust to fall upon you and fill your life with you know, new Ferraris and things like that. That's not what they do. But... When the disciples of Jesus asked him how they should pray, he actually gave them a really good answer, and I think we do well to uh, listen to him. And so we pray together at the beginning of the week, uh, the disciples' prayer. And the words are up on the screen if you'd like to pray out loud, but at the very least, let's bow our hearts together and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you turn with me or navigate with me to Ephesians chapter 4? There are these really nifty blue Bibles um, tucked under the chair in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, it's on page 1218, 1218, 1218 in the blue Bibles. Um, And if you're not using a blue Bible, I don't know what page it's on. But you can navigate to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to begin this morning uh, looking at the Word of God in chapter 4, verse 1. And I'm going to read a pretty large chunk of Scripture um, because it's in order to get the feel for some of the themes that kind of throw up in it. Um, we gotta, we got to see the overarching point. So I'm going to read a large section. We're going to go back and I'll, we'll kind of simplify it and then we'll dig in before we move on, okay? So Ephesians chapter 1, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that's a lot, and God blesses the reading of his word, so consider yourself blessed. We've read it together, and I put it up on the screen here for you, just a big chunk of text. And I, we've, as we've gone through this series, we've done something called the gist, where we go through, we take that block, and we underline uh, the words that move the idea along, not because the other words aren't important, we'll come back to those, but to get just an idea of what's the, what's the thing he's trying to say. 
um, because you know this is a letter. So first thing, this is a letter written by a pastor to a church that he had planted. His name is Paul. They live in a city called Ephesus. And so first things first, we're reading somebody else's mail. And sometimes people say things to other people. They don't know that you're going to read their stuff. And so we got to kind of figure stuff out. Um, so we've been doing this thing called the gist, where we go through and we underline kind of the key words that are, that are moving the idea along. Um, I've called it the gist, formerly known as the irreducible minimum. Um, but here is uh, just, just trying to, to get to the bottom of this big chunk of passage. He says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling, eager to maintain peace. There is one body and one spirit. Grace was given to each of us. Christ gave gifts to equip the saints for building up the body of Christ until we attain the measure of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of human schemes. Rather, we are to grow into Christ who makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, even as we kind of get, try to get to the, the gist of the argument, the, the, the thrust of the sentence he's trying to say, even that is kind of wordy, isn't it? Like that's still a really long sentence and it's kind of difficult to, to see any clarity in that. Um, just one of the things that's frustrating to me about this letter is that Paul spent a lot of time with the church in Ephesus and he spent a lot of time teaching them things. And so as he's writing to this church, he doesn't feel the need to reteach everything that he's already taught them. He just is like, hey, remember this? And then he just keeps on going. And I'm like, I don't remember this. I wasn't there. Can you please go back and revisit the thing that we were talking about? And here he just lays out this massive landmine that apparently he spent a significant amount of time explaining because he can just kind of reference, you know, he who descended is now ascended. And now all that means that he's coming and he's giving all these gifts to the church and the church builds the body up and like, hold on a second. I need to go back. Like, what is it that you're, what is it that you're talking about there? I thought we were talking about things that I could do. Um, you, you see that? Things that I could do. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord. So he's writing actually from uh, a, a prison cell. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Walk in a manner. Like he's, I thought, I thought what we were getting ready to do was to get to see some things that we could actually do. I want to walk. How do I walk in a manner worthy of the calling? Um, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love and eager to maintain unity in the spirit of the bond of peace. And then in verse four, he says, there is one body and one spirit. So it seems like he kind of throws a word out there, maintain the unity in the bond of peace. And he's like, oh, wait a second, I'm gonna have to remind you about unity. And so the rest of the thing is about what do I mean when I say unity? <sighs> cool, well, I guess that's, that's, that's kind of helpful, but he's actually not gonna get back until like walking, things that we can do until verse 17. So hang on, we'll put a pin in that. We'll come back to walking and some things that we can actually do. There's something that we need to grasp here and understand. He's got unity and he's got peace in view here. And the picture in his mind is one of adoption, remember? As he's going through and as he's explaining this letter, he's saying God had a relationship. He had a marriage relationship with this nation of Israel. And then there were all these people that were outside of that marriage relationship that didn't have any, they didn't have any buy-in. They didn't have any stakes uh, in the promises. 
And what God has done in Christ is to brought those who were outside to be inside. He's taken those who were not a part of the family to be part of the family. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the mechanics of adoption, but I feel like it probably is going to take some time for people that from outside of the family come into the family and have to learn how the family actually operates, right? Like the legal sense of adoption is actually relatively simple if you've got the money to grease the right palms and make it happen, right? So the legal sense of like Jesus makes us all one family, like that, Jesus can do that. That's pretty easy. We've got the legal adoption, the paperwork's finalized, but then I got to show up at the house and then I got to learn how to walk and I got to learn how to talk and I got to learn what table manners are and how do we communicate? Are we a yelling kind of family or are we not a yelling kind of family? Uh, are we a yelling kind of family who's trying not to be a yelling kind of family? <clears throat> what is, how do we work all of that stuff out? But he, he starts off with the point of like, hey, we are on the same team. There is one body and one spirit. We're not divided. There are no second-class citizens. We're all on the same team. We all pull our way. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, we all have the same hope that everything that's broken in the world, God promises he's going to fix it. And I don't quite know how, but that's the hope that I cling on to. There is uh, one Lord, Jesus, one faith, faith, the way, Christianity, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's, a, there's just one thing. There's one thing now. This is the thing that we're dealing with. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not talking about where you came from. I'm not talking about who you were born into. I'm talking about where we are now, and there is one. There is one. There is one. There is There is Okay. One. So how many things are we talking about? Rob, I can't put two ones up. That is confusing. One thing. <clears throat> But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So even within the unity, there's something that Jesus does, which is absolutely astonishing. He takes a bunch of people that, for all intents and purposes, should not get along. And he puts them together in the same box. He says, hey, we're all going to be one thing now. He's like, cool, cool, awesome. Let me give you a gift. I want to give you a gift that's going to uh, make the box better. You're going to build each other up with these gifts. But what the gifts are going to do are they're going to take the things that were already weird about you and make them even more weird. I'm going to take a diverse group of people, put them into one body, and then I'm going to give them gifts that make them even more diverse than they were when they started. Not talking just about personality style because we all like inherently come into faith with those things, but then Jesus gives us a gift and that gift increases spiritual diversity which I, I don't know that I can say much more about that, except that it's really frustrating. <laughs> because not only do we have personality types that we're trying to figure out, how do we communicate to one another? You talk very directly while I have to talk around the bush for three days before we can actually get to the point. Like, and that's, that's frustrating by itself, but then you add a spiritual component to it where you're gifted as a teacher, and so you're direct, and these are the points, and you better get on board. And I'm like, yeah, but I really just want to feel like we're all on the same team. And can't we just talk about this for a long time? It's like, no, we can't talk about this for a long time. We got something to do. But like, I don't feel like we should be doing it yet. Like, yes, we should be doing it. It's right there. Can't you see it? And can you, have you ever had those kinds of business meetings? Yeah. But grace, this is his grace to us. Sometimes his gifts don't feel like gifts. But this is his grace to us. 
given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, he makes this whole point that he ascended and he descended, saying that if he descended into death, if he, and this is something I had never thought of because I sang this song for like ever. Do you know this song? He came from heaven to earth to show. Do you know the, the motions? From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. Yeah, I've sung that song a million times, and it never occurred to me until I was working on it this week that, like, if he descended from heaven, that he had to go back there. Like, I don't know why it never occurred to me. Like, I guess I'm just so fixated on the cross and on his resurrection that it never occurred to me that if he didn't go back to heaven, then there was something that was missing. If he descended, then he also ascended to prove that the dissension was worth the thing that he came to do, which is a rabbit trail inside a rabbit trail, but I thought was interesting. Um, He gave gifts to men. He went down and he robbed the grave and then came back and gave gifts to men. Now, now we don't usually think along these terms, but I think for the, the first church, the Ephesians, as they read this, they would have immediately picked up the picture that he was painting here. The picture that he's painting is one of a parade. So Jesus went out to battle, and he came back victorious, And as he comes back victorious, he's walking through the city and he's proclaiming the good news. You don't have to worry about it. I've defeated the enemy. Everything is in hand. And here are some candies. Let me throw these gifts out. I'm I'm, I'm bringing back the spoils of war. And what are the spoils of war that Jesus just kind of throws out to the church after he's defeated death and hell and Sadies? He, Sadies, excuse me, Hades. Don't tell my daughter I said that. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the the shepherds, and the teachers. So he comes back and he starts throwing out these gifts. And these gifts are people. And these gifts are people that have leadership gifts. Like have the ability to lead. lead. I'm like, Jesus, I don't need any more leaders. Like I've I've seen all the leadership podcasts. Everybody's talking about leadership. I'm good. Like I've had enough. And he's like, no, 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 I, I went and conquered death and I'm coming back and I'm, I'm giving them out to you. They're a dime a dozen. They're not even like the good candies. They're like the smarties. Like, like here are all the things. And all these people are the leaders. Like, well, great, like more people to follow. But if, if, if they get it, if they get it, if the leaders understand their role, what's the point? What are they doing with their lives? He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Their job is not to lead and not to do uh, and not to be the ones that are, are the ones that are driving everything, but they are the ones to equip. Let me give you the tools so that you can do the work of ministry, which is building up the body of Christ. So, Jesus, we do this too, but we don't think about it. We think Jesus is more spiritual, and so he gets, he gets to do it a different way. But Jesus uses his body to build his body. We do the same thing. You, you don't get stronger unless you're lifting the weights, right? You use your body to build your body, which involves some pain and some suffering, some agony, some perseverance. And yet, Jesus uses his body to build his body. And he uses the leaders to equip the saints to build the body. Are we, do we get that? That's not a picture of church, I think, that's easy 
to come to grips with when you've, for me, I'll say for me, I can't speak for you. I'll say for me, when I grew up in church, like this didn't make sense to me. I'm like, what the heck is even going on here? Like it doesn't, that doesn't, that's not how I understood my deacon board. And yet, like that's what Jesus is saying. This is the thing that I came to build. And this is the thing that if you follow me, that, that we're going to try to establish. So we're adopted into the family. Jesus, Jesus gives gifts, uh, gifts us leaders as in a parade. The leadership qualities um, or the spiritual gifts are for strengthening other people. It's like they are there to equip you. They are there to bless you with gym equipment. Right? Now whose Bowflex is still like the laundry mat? Yeah? That's the thing. That's the thing. It's a lot easier to collect gym equipment than it is to use gym equipment. And, and here, the job of the leaders is to equip you. So they are literally trying to give you the Bowflex. And you're going, I don't really want the Bowflex. And you're like, yeah, but this is the thing that you need. And like, yeah, but I don't really want the thing that I need. And there's this push and there's this pull. Are we collecting equipment? Are we collecting spiritual gifts? Or are we using that? Are we, are we collecting like, okay, I'm, I'm, I know I'm a gifted teacher and so let me just, let me learn and study so that then I can, I can teach other people and like I'll feel really good about myself if I can give this kind of a lecture. Or, or maybe I've got the gift of hospitality and so like I just get to, I just get to um, feel really, really good that my house is always clean and I've got the gathered here perfectly potion and I even got my husband to hang it so it's not crooked and like, like we've got all the, and I feel so good about all of the baked goods that I have and like, like I feel so good about that. Are we collecting the gifts, or are we using them? Are, is the hospitality to make me feel good about my ability as a hostess, or are they to be a blessing to my neighbors? And this is a real hard line to draw. A real, like, it's actually difficult to know if what I'm doing is being received as hospitality, because sometimes, like, me layering it on thick about how, like, much I want to bless them makes them feel uncomfortable. Like, no, 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 like, stop, I don't, I don't deserve all this. And so sometimes you have to tone it down a bit in order for them to even be able to receive a little bit of love. And if I'm serving so that I can feel good about using my gifts, and I don't mean to pick on people that are hospitable, like this works for preachers too, like I can do that real easy if you want me to. But, but if I'm using my gifts to make me feel good, then I don't really care. Like I've got the Pinterest board checked off and I've got everything perfectly iced and I'm ready to go. But if I'm giving to that person and it makes them feel uncomfortable, it makes them feel unloved, then it's doing the wrong thing. And so I've got to use, I've got to take my gift and I've got to use it in a way that it can be received because it's not for me. I'm not collecting the gifts. I am using the gifts. I'm putting them to work and it hurts. Don't you know how much better I could be? But what can you receive? How can I love you? Are we collecting the equipment or are we using it? Until we all, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, and from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the body builds itself by itself in love, and Jesus is the, the, the foreman. He's the one with the plan, and he's the one that's directing everybody, and he's the one that, that, that is making sure that everything happens. So spiritual growth and spiritual diversity is both coordinated by and empowered by Jesus. Like, he's the one that does it. I said last week that nobody grows spiritually unless somebody is praying, and nobody grows spiritually unless somebody is praying because it's not the person that is praying, nor is it the person that they are praying for, which is doing the growth, but it is Jesus, the one whom they are praying to. We might start off as babes, and if, and if we're new to the faith, if, if all of this is just kind of brand new, and we're just kind of spinning and swimming, like, that's okay. Like, we need to acknowledge where, like, we all have to start somewhere, but we also acknowledge that there's a building towards maturity. Building into Christ. Spiritual maturity indicates that we have decided on some answers. Like, we're not tossed to and fro by every, every new thing that comes down the pike, every, every blog or every, every Twitter like, thread that, that goes crazy. Like, we're, not, we're not necessarily swayed by it. We have some answers. We're, we're pretty clear on some things. Mostly that like, Jesus has got it under control, and I don't have to figure it all out, but like, I just have to be faithful with the parts that he's entrusted to me. But we know what we know, and, and we're settled there. But we can take that truth and just start swinging it around like a two-by-four, to start beating people with the truth. Like, no, 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 this was not made for tearing down. This was made to build one another up. Like, put, put the thing in the right place. Speak the truth in love. Not so that I feel good about knowing it all, but so that you can have true life by building your life on what is true. Now, here's, I don't, this, I can give you the words, and I, I can kind of understand it, but I, I'm struggling to grasp it. Jesus grows us to care for his most precious investment. This does not seem like a good plan to me. I'm like, okay, Jesus, like you're all powerful, master of the universe, creator of all things, like the spoken word of God. Like clearly you can do the work, but, but he's saying here, I want to partner with you. Jesus grows us to care for his most precious investment. His most precious investment is the church, all of us together. Everybody who's trusting Jesus is the one that he came and he died for. And I'm going to make the case next week. Um, that he really cares for this investment, the church, that it is his most precious investment. But that's not what I'm going to do this morning. I'm just telling you that he grows us to care for his most precious investment, that we are equipped to build one another up. And if you are part of Christ's body, Christ uses his body to build his body. I can, I can stop. <laughs> like, th there's a break here. Like, we can stop and we can, we can if, if this is something that we need to sit with for a while, then we can stop here. Because this is a lot. And I think it changes how we approach 
uh, our gatherings on Sundays and how it approaches how we gather throughout the week and, and, and what we say to one another around the table. Jesus grows us to care for his most precious investment. And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, but he's chosen to use us in spite of ourselves. So I give him glory. Do we want to take it? I don't think I've ever done this. Do we want to do more? If we don't do more here, then I'm doing like four times as much next week. So it's going to be crazy. <clears throat> We're literally going to do two chapters next week if I stop now. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep going because it looks like you guys want a little bit more. We, we started with the walk. And so now he's actually like all of that was like prelude to like, how do you actually walk then? What do you do? which is great because I'm like an action guy. Like I want to get something done, right? So if you're, if you're an action person, here we are, verses 17 through 24. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to, the hardness, due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So again, that's a lot of words, and I think um, the gist of them uh, can, can boil down to this. Now, I testify, you must no longer walk as Gentiles. They are alienated from God due to hardness of heart. They practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. You were taught to put off your old self and be renewed in the spirit. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So this is our walk. This is our doing. This is the thing that we get to practice. Um, our walking, uh, as, as Paul is using it here, is our pattern of life. It's the habits of life. And it's, it's an expression of, of, our, of our body. Um, there are things that kind of get embedded in our body that are natural for us. For instance, I super struggle to wake up in the morning. And it's not because like I don't want to. It's kind of like I don't want to, but it's not because I don't want to, but because I have trained my body in the habit of laying in bed after the alarm goes off, right? And, and it's hard to wrestle with a habit that you've formed before you're even conscious, right? So it's something that I have constantly struggled with, but these habits, these walks are an expression of things that get stored in our body. So he's saying, so now, now you have to walk in a different way. Um, what we know shapes what we do. What we know shapes what we do. So here he's, he's, actually, he's actually given us an extended lesson on this. I haven't drawn attention to it yet, but uh, I'm drawing attention to it here. Everything else that we've covered, Ephesians chapters 1, 2, 3, and this first part of 4 is all things you need to know. Like you need to have a grasp of these spiritual concepts before I ever ask you to do anything. 
So if you're somebody who is skeptical of faith and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, like don't worry about this do stuff. Like that's not talking about you. What I want you to focus in on is who Jesus is and what is your relationship to him. Are you trusting him? And if you make that choice, then we can have a conversation about what you do. But up until that point, like I got nothing for you. Like I'm not you're on your own. Like I'll, I'll walk with you through it. But but if you're not following Jesus, then I, my instructions for how to follow Jesus are not particularly helpful, right? So. If we know that we follow Jesus, what we know shapes what we do. We're not going to walk the way that we used to walk. Um, Jesus redeems our natural desires and our habits. So we all kind of have these, these natural things that are, that are innate in us, and Jesus redeems our natural habits and our patterns. They're not an indication of who he means for us to be. Who you were before you came to Christ is not an indication of who Jesus means for you to be after he has redeemed you. Jesus is going to change your life. There are things he's going to say, stop doing that. And he's going to say, you need to do this instead. And that's hard. Like, I feel like it's hard for me to even like suggest, who do you think you are? Well, I'm just telling you what the text says. Like, I, I'm just telling you what it says, okay? So you can take it up with, with, with Christ. But, he, but this is just, this is so interesting to me, and I hadn't noticed this yet. But that is not the way you learned Christ in verse 20, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, this is something that, I, that somebody else pointed out to me. This is the only place in this letter where, the, where Jesus' name appears by itself. Every other time that Paul is talking about Jesus to the Ephesians, he says, Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, or the, or the Spirit of Christ. Or there's some kind of modifier, some kind of title, but here he just uses Jesus' personal name. That is not the way you learned Christ. Not the way you learned Christ. Not the way you learned about Christ. Not the, the way that you learned the facts about Christ, but the way that you learned Christ. How do you learn a person? It's a, it's a relationship. It's not, fa like, I can't give you a book and say, learn the person. Like, you can learn the book and that's fine, but, but there's a person behind the book. And if we, if we latch on to the book and we love the book and we hug the book and we miss the person behind the book, then we've missed the point. It's, that's not how you learned Christ. We embrace him. We walk with him. And if we haven't met him yet, like, that's the thing that we're here to do. That's not the way that you learned Christ. And it's funny, I don't know, like within a marriage, like I don't know which of us changed, but we're not the same persons that we were when we started the relationship. <laughs> and so learning somebody actually is an ongoing process. And that's the invitation. And what I think is, what is fascinating to me Paul started this church. He's writing to them as his pastor. He says, that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him. He doesn't even assume that everybody in the congregation that he started is actually walking with Jesus. And so we might come to a morning like this and be like, yeah, Mike, I get it. But the heart of the pastor here is, I'm not assuming that you know this. I have to ask the question because if I, ask, if I don't ask this question, I have failed you. 
I don't care if anybody ever comes to neighborhood church. I don't care if this whole building burns down. If we come and we build something special and people don't come to Jesus, then we fail miserably. And if we get our attention focused on anything other than inviting our neighbors to meet and follow him, then we have missed all of the activities and all of the the prayers are towards him. That's not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self. So so that's not the way you learned Jesus. So so get undressed. Take your clothes off. That's uncomfortable. (laughs) To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and it's corrupt, Uh, through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of mind, and to put on the new self, created of the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Like, if you learn Christ, you're taking your clothes off. It's there, right? And you're dressing with his clothes. Like, that's that's a, 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 a component of intimacy, isn't it? Like, it's, we've been married for 11 years, 10 years, 11 years. (laughs) <laughs> she's not here. Um, but like, it's cold now. And I have more cold weather clothes. I don't know why, but I have more cold weather long sleeve shirts than, than, than Jesse has. And so I came home and she was wearing my shirt. And that wasn't weird. So that's not the way you learn Jesus. You took off the old stuff. You took off the stuff that you were wearing before. And now you're putting on his clothes. And it's not like... We get that in a relationship, but when it comes to Christ, we're like, how dare he? How dare he tell me not to live that way? Who does he think he is? Well, he thinks he's the Lord and creator of all the universe and that he loves you. He loves you to death. He redeems our natural desires and habits. It's not an indication of who he means for us to be. And Jesus grows us. He grows us in this to care for his most precious investment. Therefore, verse 25, We'll wrap this up. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Do not, or be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you among, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So how are we then to walk? Uh, if, we, if we get to the gist, therefore speak the truth. Be angry and do not sin. Give no opportunity to the devil. No longer steal, but labor that he may share. Let no corrupting talk Come out, but only building up. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Be kind, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I just, I just like to draw your attention back into the passage because there's something here that I think that we, I needed to hear in our modern era. Did you notice how much speech is involved in the instructions here? How much, how much talking it is that's going on? 
Uh, he mentions it in verse 29. He mentions it in verse 25. He mentions it in verse 24. He mentions it in verse 21, all the way back in 15. And then he goes on and he says it again in verse 31 and in verse 32. Like he's really, really concerned about the way that we talk to one another. And I have spent a lot of time in circles where people will say things like, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And they're talking about some kind of a sin thing. And he's saying the way that you grieve the Holy Spirit is you're condescending to the one that God loves. How we speak to one another is an indication of where our heart is with Christ. Whether we're speaking with our lips or our fingertips. It's not for no reason that Jesus' brother James says, uh, whoever can control his tongue is already perfect in James chapter 3. But it's a challenge to us. Like, go, go back. Like, this, this is not, like, I can, I can tell you what to do with your life, but this would be better if you just spend some time, like, meditating on these passages and, like, praying through. And, like, as Jesus brings up that one situation, you're like, oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, man. Um, but it, it's about, like, there's so much of an emphasis on our speech and how we talk to one another. And are we building one another up? Are we, are we the body of Christ building the body of Christ? Or are we tearing one another down? But it's really clear, too, that we are replacing death. We're getting undressed. We're taking death off and putting on life. It's, it's really clear in, in verse 28 because he, he does this digression about thieving, which makes me think that there was a problem in their, in, in their church of people stealing stuff. He says, hey, let the thief no longer steal. Cool, got it. Thou shalt not steal. I heard that one somewhere before. Let, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor so that he, uh, let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So he's saying, I don't just want you to stop doing bad stuff. I also want you to put on life. I don't want you to just stop stealing and go to work, go get a job, you lazy bum. But what I want you to do is stop stealing and live generously. Take what you earn and share it with anybody who is in need. And it's the same thing with our mouth. Like that principle of, of putting off death and putting on life isn't just don't say the thing that you're kind of muttering under your breath, but, but let, your, let your words be filled with life and speak life to one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. It, it matters. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. But we have a problem. If we don't say it to one another, if we all agree not to mention the odor, then we can just walk around the room and it's fine. There's sins that we're real quick to latch on to, and there's sins that we really, really just like to eviscerate people who are far from Jesus for. But what's cutting me is the instruction that the church be known for a speech that builds one another up. We can't cover for one another anymore. We can't tolerate just not being mean. We cannot come to like a middle ground baseline of like, I didn't say the mean thing I was thinking. 
But Jesus wants to build a church that is walking in life and that is speaking life to one another, that is speaking the truth in love and holding one another accountable for the ways that we used to live, but the ways that we're going now, we are walking into life. We are citizens of a kingdom that is coming, that everything that is broken will be undone, be fixed and restored and be greater than it was in the garden. So, so what are we dressing ourselves in? Jesus grows us to care for his most precious investment. What are we dressing ourselves in? Christ, have mercy. You reminded me this week through one of your servants that you, you show mercy and that you do not show us more of our sin than we can bear to look at at a time. That God, if we knew the depths of our depravity before you, then we'd, we'd never turn to you. And so God, these moments where we are laid bare before you, where we are reminded of those snide remarks, those cutting and impure uh, words that we've spoken to make ourselves feel better instead of to build up another person, God, these things are flooding back to us. And we may be overwhelmed, would you save us? We're not hiding. We confess that we have not done this. And we're clinging to you. And we're astounded to be reminded that you have given grace to each of us. So, Lord, would you help us to walk in that? Lord, whatever we need to deal with between us and you, that, that God, you would help us to face that, to reconcile it, to, to, to let what is dead to die and to walk now in life, not only with you, but with our neighbors and with the spiritual family that you've put us in. It's clear to us that we can't do it by ourselves. It's clear to us that no amount of willpower is going to help us to be able to do the thing that you have pictured for us here. And so, Holy Spirit, would you lead us on? Would you convict us? Would you uh, correct us? Jesus, would you cover us with your mercy? And Lord, would you teach us to forgive as you forgive? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Because it's your kingdom that you're building and it's your name that's going to be praised above all else. And you're the one that every knee will bow to. So Lord Jesus, this morning, we humble ourselves early. Would you make peace? It's in your name that we ask.